Thank you for choosing this Dream Center podcast. Don't forget to subscribe for further updates. We're looking at why, are, why is the church powerless? Why are so many believers powerless? We've been looking at the whole issue of, of power and why is it that so many believer, believers along with the church appear to be powerless? I don't know about you, but there seems to be an, a, uh, a myth that the church can have power. The church can have power. It's full of power. Amen. But when you look on the church, when you look on the streets today, it looks like she's irrelevant. It looks like she's a dinosaur. And when you look at certainly look at so many churches, irrespective of the denomination, it's just like the people don't believe in this gospel anymore. And yet they call themselves worshippers. They call themselves believers. And yet within their day to day living, there is no evidence of Christ rising or manifesting in people's lives. And I think it breaks the heart of God. I really do, because it was never, the church was never meant to be powerless. And it's amazing, you know, wherever you go around the world, whether you're going to Africa, you're going to South America, you go, wherever you go, wherever there is conflict, wherever there is a, a there is black magic. Wherever there is opposition, the power of the church always wins. But where there is apathy, there's no need for power. And you know, when you're, you know, you've heard the phrase easy street. When you live on easy street, it's easy because there's no conflict. It's easy because everything's a summer, it's, it will use the seasons. It's a summer's day. And in a summer's day, all you do is relax. You take your foot off the gas and you live for the moment. And the church in the West thinks that she's on easy street where other nations of the world, China, where it used to be Eastern Europe, where there was persecution. Certainly in Nigeria now, there's, there's, there's persecution. Um, what other, there's another nation where uh, India, Bangladesh, wherever the church is rising, the Muslims are rising in opposition. And the burning and the, the, the destroying churches. But the church, despite this, is rising faster. Now, if I, prayed, if I prayed this morning that God would send persecution to England, you'd say, what is this guy? Is he a warmonger? But you know, there's a truth. Conflict causes maturity to develop. That's why trials and tribulations have to come to your life. And that's why you must consider them when they come. You must consider why they come. Why always me, O oh Lord? If you love me, O oh God, you wouldn't send them to me. He says, no, it's because I do love you. I allow them to come. Because your conflict surroundings is what causes you to grow. Because wherever the church is under, under stress, she always rises. And there's always a separation. The sheeps and the goats are always separated. Do you know that? You know the goats, don't you? They're the believers who go, but, 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 but. Whatever God says, there's always a but. But the sheep just go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the buts, the buts and the yeses, the yes and the amen is spoken by the sheep. But the buts are always taught, are spoken by the doubters. And, and if, if we're being honest, there's a bit of both in every one of us. And that's why conflict has to come so that you rise, so that the yes and amen is, yes, Lord, it stinks, I hate it, but I'm going to rise with you. I'm going to agree that this is good for my growth. 
Yes? It's amazing, isn't it? When you go for a job promotion, you see money as the reason for taking conflict. If you get promotion... You'll take the hits, you'll take the the late nights, you'll take the the abuse from people because you're getting a pay packet at the end of it. And where there's no money and you take the abuse, you think, sack this, I'm not doing this. They don't pay me enough to take this kind of rubbish. True. But whether you're getting paid or not is immaterial. Because God's watching your attitude. And it's how you can grow. It's how you can grow. Is there any power in your tribulation? Are you always feeling like you're the victim every time there's a trial or tribulation come to you? There must be power rising all the time within you. Even if you can cry, even if you can pray, even if you can call out to God, that is power. It's a form of power. Why? Because your power is to, you know that the one who's above all this, Right now he's unseen and unfelt. But your cry is what connects you to him and brings him into the situation. True? And then he rises and as he rises, he brings you, it brings you out of the, the trouble and tribulation. But this whole issue of power. You cannot get through your Christian life without power. You can come to church, you can listen to sermons, you can listen to the bells, smells and incense. But if you've got a Christian life that has no power, then you've bought into the wrong deal. Because church isn't about just sitting and listening and going home and going back, but nothing ever happens. But when there is sick, when there are miracles that need to take place, when there are trials and tribulations, you know when you're falling, let's use the illustration, of when you're, um, you're in a, a trial or tribulation and you feel like the crocodiles are biting at your backside. Anybody ever felt like that? Yeah. There's an old myth that says, it's first, when you're going to fall in something like that or you're going to enter into that arena, drain the pond first. Get rid of the crocodiles. But you know in real life you can't get rid of the crocodiles. God allows the crocodiles there. To always be snapping at you. You know when you've got conflict. It either does one of two things. It either causes you to become very sour. Or it causes you to become very um, joyous. Fixed. I'm going to beat this sucker. I'm going to rise. It's not going to beat me. You either have a determination. Or you have a weakness that comes over you. And says why always me Lord. It's not my fault. Get me out of here. You don't love me. And then all of a sudden you bring God into your courtroom and say, if you love me, this wouldn't happen. God says, you know, you told me you love me, but you let this happen. If they had known who who Jesus Christ was, they would not have crucified him, says the Bible. But they did. Did they not? So we need to understand that our life must be filled with power. I want to see this power. I want to see this power. I want to see you move in power. I want to see God move in power. I don't want just God to fix all our problems. That's only one aspect. I want to see you move in power. I want to see you lay hands on the sick. I want to see the the blind receive the sight. I want to see miracles happen. Because that's part of your Christian walk. Now to those people who are new at Christianity, let me tell you, ignore what all the rest have told you. You're new into this situation and you've got the full package. Just because you don't see others walking in it, we're going to give it you. You've got the full Calvary software package. The full software. There's no, no, you know, have to wait for another download. You can get it today. Amen? But some of the older Christians say, ah, it don't matter. You can get by without it. And then when when they're sick, they say, well, you know, we believe the church will pray for us. Yes. Now you've got to go and borrow someone's power. 
He-Man said, I have the power. I saw the cartoon. If he can boldly pronounce, proclaim that he's got the power, Jesus Christ says, I am the power. You've only got what I've given you. So in Ephesians chapter 1, how many of you know that as a church, and you're the church and I'm the church, we have been given the full rights to move, to stand, establish God's kingdom rule here on the earth. We have. And this is why Paul keeps praying. Paul was praying that the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your heart, that's why he's, we sang this morning, hallelujah, he's making the blinded eyes see. Now, when we say the blinded eyes see, it doesn't necessarily mean to say it's the blind. Hello? It can have other connotations. He's making the blinded eyes see. You say, ah, I didn't understand that, but now I see it. Right, now he's made the blinded eyes see. All the way through your Christianity, your blinded eyes are always being opened. So you can see more of God today than you did yesterday. We call it revelation. We call it insight. We call it knowledge. We, whatever it, you want to call it, the issue is, is God needs to open our blinded eyes. Why do you think we have a relationship you know, every now and then my wife does something to surprise me. And I no doubt I do the same things too. Now you know that as two ways of working, good and bad. Now her birthday's coming up soon. Now she expects me to do something which will surprise her. Don't get too giddy. She won't, see. I'd, see, now if you, set the t- if you set the bar low... You don't have to go really high, do you, to surprise her? Bit of guy psychology there, free of charge, 101. Set the bar really low and anything, you, anything over a fiver she's happy with. And it's her fiver. <laughs> just, just, just a little bit of friendly psychology there for the lads, free of charge. Anyway. I've told her I can't buy her anything this year. You know why? She has all the money anyway. (laughs) Got to go for a loan. Anyway, Paul is praying that the eyes of your heart may be opened, enlightened, in order that you may know the hope. And this power gives us hope. When we go into situations and we see tremendous, tremendous, tremendous darkness surrounding people's lives. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I was watching... um, a program not so long ago with Ross Kemp. And I like watching the Ross Kemp programs. And he goes into a multi, uh, multi- uh, array of scenarios, backgrounds, whether he's either in Africa or South America, Europe. But this time he was in England. And he was in Scotland, should I say, Scotland. Uh, Glasgow, that's it. And he was looking at the down and outs and he was looking at how many people are on the streets and how they live and things like this. And he was making the point that it's, it's a tragedy a travesty, should say, in Britain, this, that in this day and age, people should be on the streets. And we'd all agree with that. And it was, it was showing you how these drug addicts had got to the point where they literally had no hope whatsoever. And they, they asked these people, how long do they expect to be living? Well, if I, see the, if I see the end of the year out, I've done well. Now that, I don't know about you, that puts a great a sadness in my heart to see someone get to that stage. And I don't know about you, but I don't always have all the answers for that. 
It's easy to look at the government. It's easy to look at the, the individual and take responsibility. And you know what? There's truth to all those. Each, an individual needs to take responsibility for themselves. The government needs to take responsibility. And, there's so, and, and you could get into the blame culture and fix nothing. But that is just um, an insight into the lack of hope that's in our nation. Now, you can have a nice house, good family, good job, and still have no hope. But you see, this is where the church has to have power. We must have power to break into a darkness where nobody's got any hope. And even though it looks completely bleak, we can't just give them a prayer and say abracadabra. It doesn't work. That's not, what, that's not the power God's, uh, that God's offering. But to see someone's hope changed by a revelation, to see by a power of God touching their lives. Only God can touch a human being the way he touches them. And he, used, and he starts that process off by you and me talking to people, which creates a light into their darkness, which, which then sets off a whole other kind of dynamic that you and I can never understand, but God's doing it. But he uses you and he uses me. And people go to work every day, but you don't see that darkness, but it's there. Because people have learned how to put a, a mask on and a facade on. But the, but the hopelessness is there. You don't have to go on the streets just to see it. It's in your factory. It might even be in your family. But it's there nevertheless. So we have to carry this hope. Hope is such a power. It's, so, it's such a powerful, powerful force to give somebody hope. They say you can live days and weeks without food and water, but you can't live five minutes without hope. Why? Because hope is such a very, very powerful force. Jesus Christ, when he died, he gave hope to the world. That life doesn't have to remain like this. doesn't always have to be like this. So when Paul's praying this scripture, you need, we need to see what it is he's actually trying to say. He's saying that, you know, in order that you may know the hope to which call Christ has called you. That's just one aspect why are you called? Why did God send his salvation to you? What purpose has he got for your life? It's got to be better than working, sleeping, working, sleeping and eating. It's got to be more than that, hasn't it? If that's the deal, I'm out. It's got to be more than that. But then he gives them a little insight into the, the riches. You know, his power is, is part of his riches. Yes? If you're a king and I give you some of my power, that's part of my riches. I earned it. It's mine. It's my power to share with you, to portion to you. If I give you land and territory and I say you rule in that part, that's part of my riches. It all came out of what I owned and I give to you. True? And then he says there's riches and then he talks about it's, it's the glorious inheritance. And where is this inheritance? In the saints. It's inside you. He didn't say, which is in heaven. He said, which is in you, the saints. God's given you this glorious power, his riches, and this inheritance, and it's in the saints. It's in you. This hope, this power, this glory, this dimension, it's all inside you. And the rest, and the other parts of the Bible, call this, you uh, call this, just say, return it, rephrase it, as power in earthen vessels. You're a vessel. You store this power now. You carry this power. You carry this hope. You carry Christ. Why? Because all this hope is inside you. 
So the moment you become born again and you say, Jesus, I acknowledge you. I want you in my life. The full software is downloaded inside you. Now, just like any computer, it takes time to realize and discover how to use it, what you've already got on your machine. Because you only use a fraction of what's on your machine. True? Some people don't use, some people like computers. They, don't, they never use the word package. They just use the internet. They use it for, for watching videos or they use it for music, playing music. But they never, use how, they never know how to, to use word. And it's called word perfect. And there's a reason why it's called word perfect. Because it is word perfect. Amen. And then there are other people who... Like me, I like to use Word because a lot of my time is writing and, and things like that. So I'm using it. But you know, this, half of the time, I don't understand how it works. So when there's a problem, I either call Nick or Kevin. Because I understand how to make it work, why it does what it does, and why it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Yeah? Now, when you have that problem, you either go to God or you come to me. Why is my situation not working when it's supposed to work? I'm the, I'm the technician now. I'm supposed to be, in your mind. Because everyone comes to me thinking, I've got the answers for everything. I've just, I said to Claire the other day, I've got this deal. If I can fix everybody else's problem, then they can fix mine. Because yeah. <laughs> I never seem to have the answers for myself. I don't know about you, if you're like that. But the issue is, is we only use a fraction of what's been given to us. True? And Paul says, now this power, he says... This incomparably great power for us who believe. This power is like the working of his mighty strength. His mighty strength. So God's, God's got the power. yeah, And he says, which he put in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Then he says this. This is how far our power goes. It's far above all rule and authority and power. And dominion and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but in the one to come. And God placed all things under Jesus' feet, who is the head of over everything, for what? For the church. So that not only now is this power inside you, but it's in the church. He accomplished all this for the church. And the church is you, and the church is us. And in you, is, you're called the saint. So this power's inside you. Individually, the saint. But it's in us, corporately, the church. So everyone's got access to the same deal. For us who believe. For us who believe. That's why we pray this morning, give us a willing spirit. I choose to believe in his word rather in my circumstances. I choose. It's a choice. This power needs your will. It needs your will. It needs your body. It needs your brain. It needs your consent. It needs your intellect. It needs your partnership. It needs your dynamics. It needs your synergy. It'll work without you, but it prefers to work with you. Amen? It doesn't work for you. It works with you. And it can work for you when you're not involved. When you're weak, it'll work for you. Because as it works for you... It's because of what you've established in Christ, your righteousness. But when other people pray for me, when I used to be a smoker and I could never give up, I stood right at this spot here, right in this spot. And I had no willpower of my own to stop smoking. Anybody ever been there? Bought cigarettes after cigarettes after cigarettes. 
Said I was going to give up, then go and buy another, you know, packet of 20, have a sly smoke. Couldn't stop. And then one day I asked all the guys to pray for me. Did I have any, did I have any power? No. But I just had this need inside me that says, I want to stop smoking. I don't want to die. I want to live. So they prayed for me. That very moment, nicotine left my body. Couldn't smell it upon myself. I knew that day I was free. Now that power worked for me when I had no power of my own. But I had a will for them to ask to pray for me. Amen. And there's times when I'm the one enforcing the power. I was a recipient of that power that day. But there's times in my life when I receive it and there's times when I give it. Amen. Because Jesus said, freely you ask, freely you'll receive. So, and then in Philippians, he says this in Philippians 2 verse 9. He said, God, you'd have to turn that on. Let me read it to you. Then God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name which is above every name. At that, that, that name, should say, at that name, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But you see, this power, it's given to you. Let me use the illustration of a gun and a bullet. Anybody, everybody familiar with a gun and a bullet? Okay. You're the owner of the gun. You are the owner of the gun. Now, this gun needs a full legal license. If you're in America, you have to have a permit. True? In Britain, you're not allowed to own a gun unless you're part of a gun club. There are restrictions and boundaries to own a a, a gun in this country. Is that right, Chris? You can be part of a gun club. But you can't take that gun on the street, I would imagine. It's got to be kept on the premises, is it? Secure, okay. So you have to have full legal license to own the gun. Now, how many of you know the Bible has just told us that we've been given the full legal license? Heaven has sanctioned our permit. We can use our gun. We're the vehicle. The power flows through. We're the gun. Yes? So heaven has sanctioned it. We're not illegal. We're not rogues. We have the right to bear arms. Yes, God has given us the right to bear arms. Not only Eman's got the power now, Sheman's got the power now. Amen? Sheman. So we've got the full legal rights and authority. But do you know how to handle the power? Because in the, in the States, they have the, you know, you have golf ranges, you have gun ranges. And they show you how to hold the hand and keep it steady. You've seen them on the movies with the earphones on? Yeah? And they show you the target, fake targets. Oh, yeah, you shot him there, darling. Oh, you got him good and proper. So you're you're now taught how to handle the power. Yes? So if you girls want a gun, us blokes want a magnum. You know, I don't mean the ice cream now when I talk about the magnum. Us blokes want the big one. The girls want one they can put in the purse. The small ones. So it, it goes with the cosmetics, you know. But us blokes want a big one. Give us the rifle. <laughs> want to be an Arnish for a nigga. <laughs> now, do you know that each gun, of course you know, but in case you didn't know, aren't you, aren't you glad that God's given you someone who does know? For every gun that's fired, it's not only needs a bullet, but it's the caliber. The caliber of the bullet. So if I've got a, uh, a magnum, is it 47? Is that what they call it? Magnum 45, sorry. 45, same. I'm talking about the ice cream now. 
Magnum 45 or a PPK, you've seen James Bond. How many of you know the bullets are different? James Bond can't use Clint Eastwood's gun. I'm using movie analogy now. See, I'm very well educated, you can see. So, if Dirty Harry pulls his gun out, you know you better run. If James Bond pulls his water pistol out, you think you might have another chance. You can take a few shots before you go down. But if Clint Eastwood pulls his gun out, you're gone. True? You've never been to the movies. It's okay. If he comes back, he'll take you in the movies. It's okay. Now, the difference is, is even though the word caliber can mean two different things, the caliber means the diameter of the shell. What's your diameter? What has God got to work with? What has God got to work with? What's your diameter like? What's your capacity like? Yeah? When we use caliber in the other sense, we're talking about character, a person's character, and a person's nature. If your nature is unstable, guess what? The last thing you need to do is be holding a gun. Yeah? Because you've got to hold it with two hands, take aim, fire. You want your bullet to hit the target, not everybody else. You don't want the nickname Ricochet. Right? You don't want to be the Irishman's called Ricochet. You want to be the person who fires, boom, take the target out. God does not want other people being hurt by your instability. And how many people have we seen, how many Christians have we seen who don't know how to use God's power, abuse it? And God doesn't want us to be lone rangers. Because even lone ranger needed Tonto. True? You've got to get to the movies more often, you lot. You really have got to go and see the movies. Netflix. Get them down. The issue is, is God does not want you being a lone ranger. God wants you to be in a partner. A partner with the Holy Spirit. When he says, now's the time to use the power. This is where you use the power. This is how you use the power. Right? You use the power in Jesus' name. Now there's a scripture in the Bible from the sons of Sceva. How they saw Paul doing the same miracles, but they thought, hey, I fancy a go with this. And these were sons of the priest. They weren't Christians. These were guys who were just observing. So they see David. They see David, how he's moving in Drawsden. And all of a sudden, I'll be the sons of Sceva. I'll be a Sceva. Sceva sees David working and he sees, wow, this man's got power. This guy's got true power. People are being, uh, demons are being cast out. People are being healed. I fancy a bit of what he's got. So they watch what David's doing. They hear what David's doing. And then they go up to Carol and say, in the name of David Warrington, I cast out the name. I cast out the demons. So they're using David Warrington's name now. So the demon that's inside Carol, sorry doll. The demon that's inside the birthday girl coming up, comes out and she beats me up. See, that's the part. In this story, you get retribution, darling. The demon inside her recognizes that I'm using false power. And the demon, the demons that are inside, give these boys a hell of a whooping. Can you imagine that? They also have power. They also have power. Now, that's a little bit weird when you think a demon comes out and kicks her hides. Why? There's two powers. I'm glad you asked. There's a difference between power and authority. 
Here's power. Not a lot, but there's some. And if we line everybody up, if I line Z up at the top there, Z's got the power. Z just does that. You think he's, you think he's worshipping when he's lifting weights up in the gym. He just does that. He's like a bat. He's brought his own beatbox with him. I'm lifting like, Jesus. Guess what? My power don't work in the gym. But my power works on the running. I'm like waving at ZZ. He's like, <laughs> but my power's looking like a stallion, you see. That's different. I don't need to look like Arnie Schwarzenegger. I'm cool. So he's got power in different realms. But you know the man who owns the gym has got the authority to kick us both out. There's a difference between power and authority. So, let's stick with the analogy of the gun just for one minute. Most Christians do not understand the difference between power and authority. And they mess around. And they touch everything, speak everything that shouldn't be saying. And it's messing the body of Christ up. And you see, what they try to do is they try to live unrighteous lives and yet still walk and carry power. You can't do it. Now, they tell me I've never fired a, never fired a, a pistol, but I fired a, a, when I was in the army cadets. I used to go on the, on the range there and they say if your barrel's dirty, it affects the whole thing of the gun. I mean, Chris could tell us about this. Far better. You've got to clean your rifle, have you not? Got to learn to keep it clean. Why? Because what, what would it do, Chris? What does, what does a dirty barrel do? It, just, it affects the actual over, overall ability to fire the weapon in, the, in its capacity, which was designed to do. See, I brought the forensics in today. You didn't know that, did you? So it affects the overall capacity of what it was intended to do. That's a scientific. You could be all right there, Chris. Well, well done, that. You've read the dictionary, haven't you? But no, it, so it affects the overall capacity. What a perfect illustration. When you're, when you're a dirty vessel, it affects God's ultimate capacity to do what he's doing. Because he knows he can't use you if you're dirty. Because the demons know if you're dirty as well, you know. They knew that these boys, Skeever, were scheming. Skeever the schemer. They knew that they didn't have what Paul carried. They knew that they was not clean vessels. In other words, it was their own mates trying to cast them out. It was, it was devil trying to cast devil out. True? And what does the Bible say? A house divided against itself will not stand. That's why they give them. The demons got so undignified. How dare you use our name? How dare you operate by our power? Yeah? This is why the Bible says you can't just go into any territory. A fasted life is what cleanses you. If you learn to fast and cleanse your life, then no demonic power has any hold upon you. That's why Jesus fasted for 40 days. Cleansed himself of anything. But you know, you may have a gun, but the size of your task, the size of what, you know, you may start praying for colds. Start praying for colds. Start praying for, I don't care, someone's bunion. Start praying where the opportunities open up for you. Where there's darkness, bring hope. No matter what, how you do it, just, just be a person of, you know, spontaneity. Take, be a person who takes advantage in the right sense of the opportunity 
to be salt and light. It doesn't matter the size of the words. Let God's word be God's word. And you know, you might start seeing what we would class as small, you know, someone's hand. It's not small, but in our minds we think it's small. Who knows? God just might raise the dead through you. So you've moved now from a PPK to an howitzer. You can take, an, you can take a, a shuttle down with one of those suckers, can't you? God wants to move us up. You know, last week, we'd, we, was it last week we had the building split or the week before? The week before. And we declared miracles would start happening. Already, a church has already told us they started praying for someone and someone was healed of cancer. Now, you can turn around and say, well, they prayed. They've got the same Jesus. Yes, they have. No problem there. We said, we declared it would start happening in our region. One of the ladies in the church just went and prayed for someone terminally ill, got so many weeks to live, all of a sudden been given the clean bill of health. It's breaking out. Why? Because it didn't happen on a Sunday service. It happened just by one person getting up, sharing their light, sharing their hope, sharing their faith. They thought they'd probably a little, it was, it was insignificant. All of a sudden, someone's been healed. That's how it works. This power's been given. It's been given. It's in the saints. It's in the church. Amen? Are you ready for the Bible? To, to, to go to 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians. Let me read something to you. Let me read an epic moment. I want to put this down because you'll understand the difference between power and authority. We have both. We have both. Power and authority. Some people just have power. Some people just have a measure of authority depending on what job they do. But we have both. Christ exerted everything. He put it, sorry, God exerted it and put it in Jesus Christ. He gave him the name which is above every name. Gave him power and authority. That power and authority has now been put in the saints. Amen? So you've got the live down transferred of that. So concerning, verse 1, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. Now let me just stop there for a minute. You talk about hope. Hope comes on different levels. Jesus Christ is coming back again. Now, it not only brings a few amens, you see. It only brings a few amens because the mentality of much of the church is they're not expecting Jesus Christ to come back again. Jesus Christ has to come back again or his word is null and void. He has to. Now, he is coming back again. And you know, to some degree, the church, the charismatic churches, have stopped talking about it. And do you know what the theologians call the, second, uh, the, the, the next coming of Christ? They call it the blessed hope. It's the hope. It's the hope that one day Jesus Christ is going to come and in the twinkling of an eye, the Bible says, a twinkling of an eye, the church is gone off the earth. And the Bible says two men will be walking down the road. Next minute, the twinkling of an eye, boom, gone. One Christian goes the other guy just carries on walking can you imagine the disasters that's going to take place even today the israeli government do not put two is it the israeli or the americans one of the two do not put two christians in the same jet in case that happens they take it serious just you might be you might be a doubter 
even there, protecting their hardware. The taxpayer's money. Jesus Christ is coming back again. And when he comes, he said, the Bible says, and you'll reign with him in power. Right? And a whole bunch of events then have to start taking place. All that's going on in the Middle East right now, all that's going on in Europe, my friend, the rumblings of the second coming is about to take place. But the church is sat there, doesn't have a clue what's going on. You have, when you listen to your news, your news is a reflection of what's already been stated. We don't interpret the Bible through the news. Hello? The Bible came first. Events take place second. You can see so many things. So many things are starting to take place in, in the world right now. The economy is going down the pan. Is Bible. It's not just our stupidity. Everything's engineered for it to take it that place. So anyway, the Thessalonian people were a group of people that thought the second coming had already taken place. And Paul says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Calm down, Kimo Savi. Don't worry, the second coming hasn't come. The very fact that I'm talking to you is proof that the second coming's not come. Because if the second coming has already come, we're all, we're all goosed. Yeah? So, he, goes, he, goes, he begins to telling them about the man of lawlessness. So, let's pick it up. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and now we're being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed. By some prophecy, report or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the Lord, the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. (coughs) For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. Now, it's so easy for me to start getting on the end times here. But that's not my purpose. He said, the man of lawlessness occurs and is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God. Remember this. Or is worshipped. You could call that God if you wanted secular humanism. You could. Because secular humanism reduces God. It doesn't want the standards of God anymore. So they remove God from out of your mists. Secular humanism is what's killing the church. If I can remove God, I remove consciousness of God. So therefore, I don't have to think I'm a sinner anymore. I've I've made God in my image now. Rather than in his image. Secular humanism is what's destroying planet earth. It's a thinking. It's it's the spirit of the age. Yes? And it's in every one of us. That's why your thinking's got to come in line with this. Because the spirit of the age, you find yourself taking the philosophies and the thoughts and opinions of the world. And then all of a sudden, you, and then God has to challenge you. You shouldn't be thinking like that. That's not the truth. Oh, yeah, I never saw that. Right. Blinded eyes see. Because we work in the world, the philosophies of the world are all the time being bombarded. And we just accept them. And, and then God puts them through the, the filter of his own word. And then you realize it comes out as error, error, error. And this is why you've got to be careful that many pastors now are coming to the front of the churches and they're speaking human philosophies. They're giving you self-help messages. You can get anywhere. Why? Because they picked, they've tapped into the same spirit that's in, of the age and now they're using, and they're paralleling words. 
Guess what? A parallel only works so long before it becomes a derailment. I remember walking outside Old Trafford. And who would have ever believed God could speak to you outside Old Trafford? But he did. He spoke to me outside Old Trafford. He didn't say get to the blue camp. He said, no, I've got something to teach you. And he taught me this lesson, walking outside Old Trafford, about the parallels of the Christian life. And it became so clear to me. He said, watch it. It doesn't come into your heart. And watch it doesn't come into the church. Because you can have management, and the management nick our words, and then try and sell them back to you. True? And now the church writes book on management. And we think, it's like, who's, who's, own, who's owning this language? It's our language. They've learned to market it better than us. So now we have to go back to the world and tell them, hey, get off, you scuffers. It's ours. And then what happens is you pick up the parallel and you talk like they talk, thinking that you're going to fit in. You're not meant to fit in. You're meant to stand out. Beige Christianity does not work. This is the subtlety of the man of lawlessness. He messes with your thinking so that you become in harmony with the world. The Bible says, though we're in the world, we're not part of it. Oh, this is the one thing that's going to deceive the church in the last days. This will be the thing. Secular humanism is what will set the church down. And I hope I'm not speaking over your heads. Seriously, I hope I'm not, because you've got to watch this spirit, how it enters into every one of us. And it devalues, decreases, right, and disarms the church. So now we fit in. So everyone feels comfortable when they come in the church. Now there's an element of feeling comfortable. We're showing them to the chair, having a nice greeting. Don't have to take your lemon out your mouth so that you can smile. And, you know, rather than make them so comfortable that we've anaesthetized them. If someone feels so comfortable in church, shame on us. Because where's the conviction of the Holy Ghost? We can all sit there and just, we might as well just put nice music on. We'll get the, in fact, we'll get the Halle Orchestra to play all our music for us. And we'll have violins, cellos, and the lot. And we'll just sit there and we'll just, hmm. And God will go, bye, I'm out. Yes. And then he says this in verse 5. Don't you remember when I was with you? I used to tell you these things. And now you know what is holding him back. He's talking about the man of lawlessness, the spirit of the age. It's not just a thing, it's a person. Yes? And he says, the man of lawlessness is already... Sorry, the, the verse 7. Let's go to verse 7. No, no, 6, 6, 6. And now you know... Any, any, <laughs> 6, we're going to 6, honest. 6. And now you know what is holding him back... So that, you may, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power. What kind of power is it? Secret. Of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds him back will continue to do so. So he's taken out the way. So, so there is a power confrontation. But there's a difference here between power and authority. One's got power. The other one's got power and authority. Yes? So his power is what gives him the ability to insert his authority. Yes? If I've got power, I can establish my authority. Or my authority sometimes allows me to establish my power. But Satan has only got power. He's got no authority. He works on illegitimate authority. 
He works on illegitimate authority. So when sickness comes, it's illegitimate. Because Christ has already said, when I died, I put an end to all this stuff. So when sickness is reigning and disobedience is reigning, we have the power and authority to bring an end to it in our own lives. Jesus says, I cancelled it once and for all on the cross. It was a code that was written to bring destruction to you. He says, I took it, I threw it away, I disarmed it so that you can have authority and power over sickness and sin and death. Jesus says, behold, I once was dead, but now I'm alive. No man's ever done it before. He said, this power that's in me was given to me by my father. And now I'm giving it to you. You now have the power to cancel death over your own life. So when the doctor says, well, you know, I'm not quite, I think you only got six months. We have the power to stand against it. We don't have the medical expertise to fix it. But we have the one who's inside us is greater. He can fix it. But he's got to work with you. He's got to work with your will. He's got to work with your intellect. If you've, got the, if you've got the spirit of the modern age, well, you know, when your time's up, your time's up. When people talk like that, it's because they have no sense of purpose on their life. I can't die now because my time's not ready. Do you know when you're on a plane? I hate flying. I don't like flying. I mean, I'm a good liar. I keep it on my face. I don't let the rest of them know because the captain of the ship's got to bring peace to Andy. I know what he's like. Can't be angry and say, give me another whiskey, give me another whiskey, give me another whiskey. I've got holy water in my seat, don't worry. <laughs> but when that plane's going through the turbulence, what's everyone thinking? Oh, we're going down, we're going down. Who's it? Come on, who's ever flown? Yeah? And all of a sudden you start thinking, oh. is it to the left or to the right? I'm not sure, just do it. Do it both ways. And everyone starts thinking, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. What about me kids? What about me kids? I'm thinking, what about my wallet? Scott's going to spend my bank balance. (laughs) I'm thinking, the inheritance, I didn't want him to have it. Not all of it, some of it, maybe. And you don't start praying, you're thinking, we're going down, we're going, abandon ship! (laughs) Who's ever thought of that? And the captain's saying, well, you know, we've got some some trouble ahead. He says it in a real nice voice, you know, fasten your seatbelts, and uh, there may be some turbulence ahead. Panic! No, he doesn't say that. He just he kind of speak, kind of calms you down, doesn't it? Yes, we may not come out of this, but if we do, now's a good time to lead you all to the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, no, he doesn't do that. But you see, when I'm on that plane, I have to tell myself I'm not going to die. This plane will not go down, and if it does die, and I'll tell Shirley because I'm not dying. <laughs> I've got a purpose. It ain't finished. The good news and bad news is one of us is walking away from this crash and then it ain't you. That's the bad news. Now, if you've got purpose like me, we'll both walk away. Okay? That's how you've got to think. Now, when I came back from Australia and those boys have prophesied over me, it's the only time I've ever got on a plane and thought, you know what? Give it your best shot. It's the only time I've ever felt like that. Give it your best shot, Bubba. You can take us up and down because I know it's been prophesied over me and the angels have said they're going to accompany me. I knew what God had said and it got on that plane. It's like, don't worry, people. You're saved today because of moi. For the one who is inside me is greater than the one flying the sucker. See, now everyone, I like to think, Rightly or wrongly, arrogantly or not arrogantly, I like to think everyone was safe on that. It sounds like, give everyone another round of drinks on me. Because I was convinced, and I'm convinced, that that sucker ain't going down. Now, 
That is a great power and a great authority and confidence that you and I need. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Ah, now, now, now. When, when the plane's going, you don't see it as a shadow, do you? It's a shadow because it's not the real thing. You hear that? It's a shadow because, have you ever been frightened by your own shadow? With these glasses, it's weird. Because sometimes, yeah, I'm doing kung fu sometimes. <laughs> I think someone's, you know, Wah! I have to tell myself, who's that behind me? I've got power and authority. I always have this fear that someone upstairs is going to mug me. Come in the building and get me from behind. And I'm going to lie there and Claire's going to find me the next day. But these glasses can be a little bit... That's why you've got to take them off in building the spirit. At least if I see... I can, no, I can't see you at all now, but... <laughs> blinded eyes can see. What? But the thing is, you've got to be able to have power and authority to set your heart at rest. Right? Because when you get on that plane, I know I've got a lot more flying. And guess what, church? I keep saying to you, get your passport. Now, if I go down... You just make sure all your names and addresses because I'm the one who's getting off the plane. If you don't get off the plane, that's your faith and your, your trust in God. But I'm getting off the plane. It's true. You're not, sometimes you're safe because I'm with you. Other times you're safe because you're there. Because the one who's in you is greater. My kids are safe because I'm there. You bring stability to other environments because you're there. Because the one who's in you helps you to bring stability to everybody else. Doesn't mean everyone else is weak, it just means that what's in you is not necessarily at the same capacity that's in everybody else. But you have to learn that as a Christian that the ship can be stabilized because of the power and authority that's in you. When my company was going down the pan, it was me constantly kept saying, No, it's not gonna happen. And I like to think that my prayers is what kept that company open for another two years. And not just kept it open, we prospered. You've got that power and authority to do that. Why? Because the one who is in you is greater. If you can't bring peace and hope to unstable environments, then what's the use of having this? It's got to work. It's got to do what it says on the tin. Or I'm taking it back. Customer satisfaction tells me I can take it back. True? So let's pick it up again. Still with me? And then the lawlessness one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with his breath of his mouth. It's not that he's got bad breath. He'll overthrow him with the breath of his mouth and destroy the splendor of his coming. In other words, that's the size of Christ's power. That he can look at the enemy and just go. Just blow him out of the way. See, when you understand Christ. You understand what is achieved. My friends, you don't have to sweat to enforce power. It's there. All you have to do is use the name of Christ. It's his name. It's his power invested in you. It's not your power. It's his in you. Amen. Then he says this. He'll overthrow him. By the breath of his mouth and the splendor of his coming, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders. And every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. And for this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion. Wow. So that they believe 
a lie. And so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth that has delighted in wickedness. It's an epic moment. It's an epic piece of scripture. How Paul's describing how there is power on the earth. Two powers going at it. One has power and authority, just one has power. But the one who has power and authority has the one, he has the power to resist the other one. And he's holding him back. Now, don't get this picture. He's struggling. We're, we're, we're losing it, Captain. She will not make it. We don't have enough dilithium. It's not like Star Trek. We're going down the pan. No, he stood there like that. You know, it's not, it's not causing the Holy Ghost any sweat, this. Holding back. All he's doing is just, it's just almost like he's got one finger on his head. He's going, you will not come any further than this. Stop. And the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost is moving this morning. When the Holy Ghost was moving this morning, he weren't saying, hurry up church, I'm getting, you know. Can't you see him busy over here? No, it's like you, no further. And the Holy, and the Holy Ghost is free to do what he wants and he's just saying you can't come no further. Why? Because authority says you can't come past this line. So all the power that Satan's got, he uses it to deceive. You know, that's a bad power to have. If you've got to lie and deceive your way through life, don't call that power. Call it what it is. Deceitfulness. But the Bible says that the devil's been lying from the beginning. The Bible says that there's no truth in him. He's a liar. And what does he come and do? His power is to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his power. That's his nature. He's never told you the truth. Whenever the enemy speaks to your your life, he's never speaking the truth. He's always speaking a lie. Why? Because he wants to deceive you. But here, the man of lawlessness, you're going to see this in the end times. You're going to see all the nations. You're going to see the European nations come together more and more. These European nations coming together is not by fluke. This is what's going to happen. The Bible talks about the nations coming together, the European nations coming together, and they make a pact. And there's such an economic downturn that someone has to rise with all the answers. Do you believe that day is very, is very, very fastly approaching? And all of a sudden, now all the nations have no idea of how to get out the economic mess they're in. And all of a sudden, one rises up. I've got, I thought it was Gordon Brown. <laughs> Gordon Brown rises up, example. And now all of a sudden, he says, I've got the answer to the, the economic disaster that's going on. And what he does, the Bible says, he actually goes into the temple in Jerusalem. And he actually declares himself as God. So watch that on your TV screen. Sky News will pick that up. Right? And he'll declare himself as the man. He won't call himself lawlessness. He'll call himself whatever he is. Genius. And he'll, call, and he'll say, I've got all the answers. And he'll say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just like God to these people. He'll do it subtly, but you listen. This is what's going to happen. All the nations are beginning to polarize around this concern they have of the economic disaster. It's already started. You had, the, you had the, the crunch. Now you're going to have the crash. The crash is what's coming next. The crash, the crunch, whatever you want to call it, it's coming. And there's going to be disasters. You can't believe, right? But you know what, church? Don't panic. But you know what you will have to do? Wise up. You're going to have to learn some things. You can't keep spending the way you're doing. You can't keep living the way you're doing. You can't keep doing the stupid things and expect God to bail you out. But if you learn what God's saying in this time, that's why the prophetic ministry is given to the church. So that the church can rise. 
as the water level starts rising and, and it washes people away, people invariably, invariably always run to higher ground. Always. What do you think, Dream Center, God has been trying to do with us? He's been already been trying to take us to the higher ground now. So we're not in, the, in that valley. The church cannot be afford to be overtaken and then cry out, get us out. God's already been trying to get us to move to, next, to the higher ground now. That's what he's been doing. That's why we keep laboring to get us out of this mess so that we can stand. We are financially strong as a church. We are spiritually strong as a church. And may it continue to be so. Why? Because we've, uh, we've heeded the warning. We've protected you from some stuff. Some stuff you'll never know about. Our decisions to get us to the higher ground now. Because in military, in military uh, strategy, higher ground is always best. Because the water will come and it will sweep away the multitudes in the valley of indecision. Deluge is coming. Deluge of the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost shakes everything that can be shaken. Amen. So that the church must be a city on a hill. A city on a hill. So that the people can look. Why? Because light shines better. The higher it is. So you in your life have got to make that journey up to Zion. Into Zion. Mature me in Zion, Lord. So that me and my family, me and my finances, me and my lifestyle, we're already in a higher position. But this is what the Bible says, remember? He who thinks he's standing strong, be careful. Why? Because he doesn't want you to take... Um, he doesn't want you to become lazy. doesn't want you to become proud or apathetic. He says, keep moving. Keep moving all the time. And you, it's too late to get your books and your videos on what, what God's saying about the end times. When the moment overtakes you, it's too late. Do you know that? The moment you get cancer, it's no use someone telling you how you could have avoided it if you'd have had less this and less that and less of that. At that moment, you just need a treatment. How do I get rid of it? True. So prevention is better than, right. And here's the Bible, and he's trying to tell us, and I'm trying to do my best to help you here. Satan has power to create a rebellion. Do you know that? But he doesn't have all authority. Yeah? This power will reveal a man, a man called the man of lawlessness. Put that word down. The man of lawlessness is what the world will begin to see. He's lawless. He does what he wants, how he wants to fix what he feels. It needs to be fixing so he can get the prominence. He breaks rules. He breaks rules. Now you, now you know in politics, breaking rules is a part of life. But there is perceived breaking rules and there is deception. Isn't there? He's going to deceive. That's his nature. But you have power and authority to rise above it. Now, I know as you're listening to me this morning, there's a thousand questions. Guess what? I've only got a hundred answers. Satan, we're finishing. Satan is allowed to operate in power, albeit he can only operate within a legal boundary. Right? He will oppose and exalt himself. That's part of his nature. But you, my friend, have been given all territory. You can go all territory. There is no limitations. The only boundary that will ever limit you is your thinking. That's why thinking is the, th- is the one thing that's up for grabs. That's why philosophies will always pollute your thinking. The spirit of the age will always distort 
your thinking. And when I can distort it, I can weaken it. True? Why do you think universities, why do you think when our young people go to universities, it's such a defining time? Because they're going in the educational institutes that have a set way of thinking. Yes? Where do you think most of the the brains, the radical people come out of the universities? Because they know that that age group is the one. The radical fundamentalists all come from the universities. The smart people all come from the unis. Why? Because there's something about the mind they can capture. So we've got to be careful. The Holy Spirit is presently holding back the man of lawlessness from coming forth. Jesus says, in a little while longer, I'm coming back. But until then, establish the kingdom. Forcefully advance the kingdom. The Bible says and violent men lay hold of it. Not violent in the sense of what we see physical violence. It's, seen, it's a spiritual attitude that says I will not be contained or limited. I'm going to forcefully advance my territory today. I have full power and authority by Christ given to me to extend, to guide, to guard, to govern my territory. And all those in, in my environment, I can do it. Amen? And the devil appears like he has. I should say, the devil appears like he's got genuine miracles. But the Bible says clearly he's counterfeit. But Jesus Christ, it's impossible for God to lie. The Bible says if he lies, he defeats his own nature. But he said the evil one, he's been lying from the beginning. That's why I kicked him out. Because he's a lying soul rag. Last scripture, promise, then we're out. John 17, verse 11. I read this scripture last week. So good, I'm going to read it to you again. John 17, verse 11. This was the dialogue that Jesus was having with his father just prior to him being taken off the earth. And he uses this, he uses, he puts, he personifies what we're talking about. John 17, verse 11. I will remain no longer in this world, but they are still in the world. Speaking, his disciples, his investment, his seed, his legacy. Okay? And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. But then he says this, protect them by the power of your name. Of your name. That name you gave me. Wow. That name you gave me so that they may be the one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them them safe by my name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction That scripture would be fulfilled. Carol, just stand up, please. We stand at the altar. Here comes the bride. We stand at the altar. She comes as Mrs. Cumming. That was her name. She comes as Carol Cumming. Right? I come as Mr. Tony Higginson. She's a Cumming. She ain't going down doing me. At this point, all I've got is love and affection. Right? But then, when we go through the covenant, and we go through the ceremony, right? Come over here. Then she becomes an Igginson. Now she uses my name. What a name it is. <laughs> now listen, seriously, seriously, this is the best analogy I've got. It's the best one you're getting. I haven't got another one. 
She's now comes under my name. She's left her old name behind. No wonder. Right? <laughs> she leaves her old name behind. And now she comes under my covering. My name is her covering. My name is. It's nothing to do with me. I got my name from my dad. Yeah? And he got it. It came on. Don't ask me how we got it in the first place. That'll lead me on to a beautiful story. But you don't want to hear that right now. About the Titanic. Ask Andy about the Titanic. But anyway. She comes under my name. That name gives her certain rights. That name gives her authority. She can now go into our, my bank. She can go into our bank now. And it's now Mr. and Mrs. It gives her rights. She can take out what's in there. And she does. Right? Well, sit down, sweet. She takes out what's ours. And we now stand as one. Because of that name. That name has given her covering. She'll, she'll die as an Igginson. True. Why? Because her name will always be involved and linked with me. Because of where I came from. Because of my link. My heritage. When Jesus Christ gave his name, he gave it and he married his church. Right? He birthed his church. And there's going to be a marriage. But he's already given you the name right now to use. That name covers you. That name gives you access. That name gives you authority and power. That name alone. That name gives you everything. Carol now can rest because she's got a name. She's changed the name. Now that must be strange for someone changing the name. I've always been an Igginson. Before the foundations of the world, I was an Igginson. Carol was a coming. Now she's an Igginson. Right? And that name will always be with her. She'll always be known. Now that name we've given to our children. So now the covering is extended. So whatever comes into our circle, our name protects them. Are you getting this? She has full legal rights to use that name. Her old name is no longer accepted. Only David, a brother, can use her name. But her name won't get her anything no more. That's why when I become a Christian, the old me is no longer accepted anywhere. The new me is accepted because I'm the new, the new me is in Christ. And when the enemy of my soul looks at me, he sees me under the name which is above all other names. So he has to lie and cheat and deceive his way because he knows he's no authority. But he, has, he doesn't stop him using his little power he's got to deceive me. But I've got the word. That's why Jesus himself, when the devil came, he tried to use an old trick. He tried to use his own word against him. If you are the son of God, take these stones, take this bread. He's like, get out of here, you muppet. You try and use the word against me. 40 days, there was no more flesh in Jesus. It had gone. So Jesus was showing that even on his best day, Satan has no power to deceive me. Stand to our feet, please. <clears throat> on his best day. On his best day. It's still not good enough. But on your best day. Your best day is every day. You know why? Because what he achieved, not what you achieved. So right now. We're going to pray that name over our lives. You've now come under 
The moment you give your life to Jesus Christ, you change name. Not physically, you change your name. You keep that. Don't go into the bank and calling yourself Jesus Christ. You're still Mr. and Mrs. whoever you are. That's your earthly lineage. But now in Christ, you've been grafted into his vine, the Bible says. And you've now been seated with him in the heavenly places. So your name now is recognized. It's recorded in the Lamb's book of life. And when God looks down, he sees your name recorded in that book. And he puts you the name. He puts you under the name of Jesus Christ. Tony Higginson, Jesus Christ. Carol Higginson, Jesus Christ. Now I've been named, I'm under his name. Whatever that name is, I'm not called Tony Eganson up there. I'm called whatever he's called me. Amen? Whatever he's called me, I don't know. I don't, that's in the scroll. It's not been open to me. That I don't know what I'm called in heaven. I just know that I'm in Jesus Christ. Okay? So when you go up there, don't be saying, uh, is the room there for Mr. Eganson? He's already got you recorded. Just do that blood. Yeah, blood, blood's got DNA. Your DNA's up here. That's all you need to know. Amen? So Father, right now... We hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information, go to www.thedreamcentre.co.uk.